Buckley, you one of our regulars for Self-Improvement Wednesday. Each week you get to learn something new. Your lesson this week, ecosystems, the world's biggest jigsaw. And in a way, when we, why when we focus on threatened species, we should also focus on ecosystems and how to understand them and save them. Your teacher is Richard Kingsford, who's Professor of Environmental Science at the University of New South Wales. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Richard. You say, Richard, that it's useful to imagine the world as a giant jigsaw puzzle. What do you mean by that? Well, there are ecosystems everywhere you look across the globe. These these are the sort of things that describe living things and their environments. And everyone needs to know about them from school onwards. Um, and it's useful to imagine the world as a giant jigsaw puzzle where every puzzle piece is an ecosystem which changes from place to place. And you can imagine these ecosystems, they can be big or they can be small, they can be simple. And you think about a sort of blue sky puzzle piece in a conventional puzzle or really complicated like a piece with a jumble of colours and everything in between. And so as ecosystems vary, their animals and plants and microorganisms change as well, as does what makes them tick. And these ecosystems are inevitably a reflection of things like moisture, light, heat and nutrients. So in a different uh, spot on the planet, on the globe, different impacts, different ingredients, if you like, are going in to create different ecosystems. That's right. And, and throughout human history, obviously, peoples of the world have uh, intuitively known and learnt that different ecosystems supply our essentials, you know, the food, the water, medicines and building materials that we now call ecosystem services. And probably the first formal descriptions of ecosystems were those of the ancient philosophers of China, Egypt, India, and Greece. And sort of typical of the thinking at the time, Greek philosopher Aristotle identified that there are four classical elements to describe the world, earth, air, fire, and water. And obviously that didn't include the living world or its connection, so there was a big gap. Mm. I mean, Aristotle didn't use the word ecosystem, though. Who, who invented that term? No, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it wasn't until 1935 that the English botanist Arthur Tansley, who was one of the first modern ecologists, um, proposed the word ecosystem <clears throat> to describe this sort of connection between living and non-living worlds. And it's a, it's a word that's derived from the Greek word oikos, O-I-K-O-S, for home, and then you combine that with system to get ecosystem. And it was then American Raymond Lindemann in 1942 who really described the sort of flow of energy through food, food webs such as, as from plants to animals. Mm. Now, because all these, you, you, you say how there are all these sort of um, ingredients, if you like, coming in to create a certain ecosystem, presumably that means that you can get quite similar ecosystems in various parts of the planet. They might be separated ge geographically, but they've got the same inputs. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's worth sort of thinking, what are the five main things that you need in an ecosystem? You've got to think about the resources it needs, so the water, oxygen, nutrients, carbon and energy. And then, you know, it's going to be in a particular environment that's shaped by the topography, temperature and salinity. The third thing is it's a range of factors like floods, storms, fires and earthquakes can disturb and also sometimes reorganise ecosystems. And then fourth, of course, all the plants and animals and microorganisms are inextric inextricably linked um, as predators, predators and prey, they're competitors for food or shelter 
or even depending on each other for survival. So you can think of, you know, plants need insects for pollination, for example. And finally, the fifth sort of major key feature is that in the Anthropocene period that we're in now, human activity pervades and influences all of those four features. Yeah, Anthropocene, but it's those Anthropocene five features meaning, that are mean, essential to classify ecosystems of the world. Just to find that word for um, me, an Anthropocene. Yeah, Anthropocene is a sort of modern period that people say because we are influencing everything on the world, including the geology. So that's what scientists call this present period. Mm. But it's, I mean, if you can think of those five features, you can think in terms of different functions. You can think of a rainforest, say, in the wet tropics of Australia is incredibly similar to a rainforest in the Congo. It's got similar types of plants and soils even though the sort of species there might be different. Um, you can think, say, from an evolutionary history, it would mean that in Australia's wet tropics rainforest, you might have a tree kangaroo, but a similar sort of niche would be occupied by a monkey in the Congo. So when you look at the world through that lens, you realise that all of these puzzle pieces of Earth's ecosystems start to emerge. And, and there's also an act actually a hierarchy for ecosystems. They sort of fit in inside each other, a bit like Russian dolls. So how does that so, hi how does that hierarchy work? Yeah, so starting from the top, I guess everybody is familiar with, if you like, the largest dolls, <laughs> which are the oceans, the land, and river environments. They're all quite different to each other. Um, people are probably less familiar with things like the atmospheric doll, if you like, and the subterranean environments, but they are all very different from each other. But those are what we call Earth's realms. And they, they, they separate out quite well. But like all things in ecology, there's uncertainty around the margins. So for example, what do you call an estuary? It's partly a river, but it's also in influenced by the ocean tides. So we also call transitional realms, such as a marine sort of freshwater for estuaries. And then if you then go from there, then the next smaller size doll, if you like, subdivides those realms into biomes. So you think, for example, rivers, lakes and swamps are quite different freshwater ecosystems. So they become separate biomes. And then below the biomes, the next sort of smaller group of Russian dolls captures that lower layer of ecosystems across different parts of the world. For example, in the lakes biome, you can think there are freshwater lakes or salt lakes, which have quite different ecologies. And in shallow marine waters, for example, you can think a coral reef is quite different to a kelp forest or a seagrass meadow. Um, and of course, once you've sort of settled that level of organization, you can then compare ecosystems at sort of global, national and regional scales um, and, and go to that sort of finer geographic scale for smaller dolls in that sort of um, group of Russian dolls, if you like. Mm. Why is this important? You know, I think it's very, it's, it's easy to, when you talk about threatened species, I think to get human beings really interested in that, you, you know, we, we respond to the idea that this is a species which may disappear from the planet. Why is it almost equally important, I think, in your view, for us to understand ecosystems as well as we understand our threatened species? Yeah, just before I come to that, one of the things that we sometimes forget in this sort of ecosystems that are also novel ecosystems, which we've made, you know, things like cities, farms, dams and artificial reefs are all also ecosystems. They support plants and animals. They tend to be a bit simpler. So you can think of a cropped paddock is a bit simpler in terms of its terrestrial biodiversity to the nearby adjacent bush. But as you say, you know, the big question is, 
you know, why is this so important? The, the reason is you can then really start to say which are the most important parts of the environment for delivering on biodiversity or essential ecosystem services. It could be possible to map and audit all of a country's ecosystems, and that could really provide you the basis for environmental accounting of natural resources. And, and in fact, this is the new way, place that a lot of economists in the United Nations is currently developing, a system that's much more comprehensive than just the flow of money and GDP. And it also allows you to then think about, well, how are those ecosystems faring? What's the health check? Um, and, and if you know how a system, ecosystem works, you can also work out how to avoid its collapse and fix it. And, you know, obviously, as you say, it's very challenging. We're all focused on threatened species, but there are real efficiencies if we not only pick those threatened species, but we go up a level to ecosystems. We also we all have to remember that the species we love and want to conserve, they have to live in an ecosystem. So it's not much point just conserving them. You've got to conserve their support framework, which is the ecosystem and the relationships between living and non-living worlds. So that's really the big challenge is how do we strategically harness this growing knowledge of ecosystems and think about how it most effectively can be managed in terms of, you know, the, this big challenge between what we're doing and and how do we protect the other animals and plants that share this environment with us? Yeah, well, we often talk, don't we, about these ARC projects whereby you get something like a Tasmanian devil population, very under threat in Tasmania by that disease. You put it at, uh, you know, Barrington Tops and, 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 and try to keep them alive. It's all very well, but in the end you've got to, and it's a great idea, of course, but in the end you've got to find a pristine environment where you can, re, you can release them, otherwise the problems will just happen again. That's right. So it's really how do you also find the ecosystems that will support them, whereby you don't have to keep investing in, if you like, um, farming them or, you know, having a zoo where they, you've got to keep feeding them and, and all the husbandry that's involved. And, and thinking about how ecosystems and protecting ecosystems allows you to sort of move to that other level, a much higher level and, and, and a much broader focus that can be much more effective and potentially more efficient. Richard Kingsford, thank you very much for the lesson. Thanks very much. Uh, Ecosystems, the world's biggest jigsaw. A lesson from Richard Kingsford, who's Professor of Environmental Science at the University of New South Wales. You can listen again, abc.net.au slash sydney. And there also find out how to subscribe to the free Self-Improvement Wednesday podcast. The Next week, the newly discovered Brenner's Bobtail Squid with Dr Mandy Reid from the Australian Museum. That's Self-Improvement Wednesday next week.